Welcome to the Brain Health and Beyond podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. We are so excited to broadcast this amazing episode with Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams. This man is an awe-inspiring leader and a true community hero. He previously served three terms in the New York State Senate and 22 years in the New York City Police Department. In 2016, he got very sick and after some diagnostics was found to have type 2 diabetes. He soon learned about the profound effect of food on his health and adopted a whole food plant-based diet and successfully reversed his diabetes. Since then, he has been a vocal proponent of a plant-based diet and has encouraged all Brooklynites to eat healthier. He has launched multiple initiatives to provide resources to the community regarding healthy nutrition and also hosts various events at the Brooklyn Borough Hall to educate citizens on different health topics. He also prompted the city council to pass a resolution called Ban the Baloney, which aims for schools across the city to stop serving processed meats to school kids based on a 2015 World Health Organization report that labeled these products as group one carcinogens that increase the risk of diabetes, multiple cancers, and respiratory illnesses. He has also been an avid supporter of Meatless Mondays in public schools. He's dedicating so much of his efforts to empowering the community with new models of health. You know, our entire life has been focused on evidence-based research and translating it to populations. And that's what we think is the missing link, the translation of preventive medicine to populations, which is not really addressed in standard medicine, sadly. And that's what inspires us so much about Eric's work, who is making Brooklyn a role model city for other cities in the U.S., He's a luminary who is changing healthcare as we know it. And we are so grateful for that. We truly hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Eric, we are so happy to have you here. Uh, it's such a joy to sit down with you and speak with you about your incredible work. Uh, you truly are an inspiration and a leader for so many. And what you've done in New York and the surrounding areas is exemplary. And we're so honored to have you here with us. When we first heard you speak, we knew there was something different here. I mean, we, we know that there's a lot of us that do the science, others that that talk about the, the advocacy and the, and the policy. And sometimes the concept gets lost in the minutia. When you hear somebody that brings it to a higher level, yet also connects it to the you know human level, that's a different level of communication. And, and I, this is not me trying to give you flattery. The first moment we heard you, we said, this person is going to change healthcare system. Mm. And, and that's not a hyperbole, both of us. <laughs> we looked at each other and said, uh, you know, th this is the seed, the beginning of something different. You have dealt with this healthcare world from personal side, as well as policy and at every level. And I, the first place to start is to kind of figure out 
you know, find out about your journey and where you started. Thank you. And I really thank both of you for, you know, your kind comments. And this is a yin and yang experience. Uh, oftentimes when we look at that circle and see the two colors connected, we don't realize there's a dot in between them both, meaning that not only are we connected, but we're a part of each other. And what I experienced uh, several years ago when I was diabetic, my evolution was really an evolution that was not only going to help me, but it was going to help uh, those who were also going through this horrific experience of chronic diseases. And and it goes the gamut of everything from Alzheimer's to diabetes to heart disease. And so several years ago, uh, about almost three and a half years now, time moves uh, so quickly. I was away. I was out of the country. I had a, a discomfort in my stomach, and I had no idea. I thought it was colon cancer, to be honest, because I lost a good friend to colon cancer uh, several uh, months before that. And I promised myself when I got back to the country, I was going to go and see my internist. And my internist sent me to have a, a colonoscopy and also to get my stomach checked, uh, endoscopy, I believe they call it. Mm -hmm. And when I came out of sedation, and at the same time, I had severe vision loss in my left eye. You know, I couldn't see out of my eye and my right eye was going also. And it, it, I was just going through a lot of health care, tingling in my hands and wow. feet, uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol issues, just a whole host of health issues. I looked, I was, you know, little did I know how overweight I was, but I was so used to, became so accustomed to my visual appearance that I thought I looked well, but in actuality, I didn't. But internally, I was really breaking down after 22 years of a police diet. And so the doctor told me that, Eric, when I came out of sedation, Eric, you, you know, you have a real issue with diabetes. Your A1C is extremely high in high teens. I have to put you on insulin right away. I can't leave you, let you leave the office without insulin. I have to inject you. I have to give you two other medications. So I went in that doctor's office that day with no medications. I left with two medications for diabetes, insulin, prescription, as well as medicine for my ulcer, medicine for my vision drops from my eyes, from my vision loss, as well as medicine for my cholesterol. I just walked out with a bag. I thought I was Dwayne Reed, wow. you know. <laughs> wow. Like a walking pharmacy, right? I was a pharmacy company. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. And so something just didn't resonate. You know, mother was diabetic for 15 years, seven years on insulin. And all my sisters and brothers were experiencing the same level of health care. My sister had breast cancer. Another sister lost a kidney from diabetes. And one of my brothers was experiencing prostate cancer. And my dad just transitioned from prostate cancer. And so my family was at a health care crisis stage that was similar to what other families were going through. And it just didn't resonate with me that the doctor said you were going to be on medicine the rest of your life. And what was fascinating is that when I was told I was diabetic, a part of me said, well, you knew it was coming. You know, everyone in your family, your aunts and uncles, they're all diabetic. You knew this was part of, you know, the lineage of the Adams. But there was just something in me that said no. And I went and, you know, as I say, I, I did something scientific. I went to Google and Google reversing <laughs> diabetes. And I didn't put in living with diabetes. 
I put in reversing diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, and all of this information came up and I just found out great data from Dr. Gregor, Dr. Esselton, Dr. Barnard, and I just started reading through it and I was able to connect with Dr. Esselton. I called him in Ohio at the Cleveland Clinic. He told me to fly down to see him. I flew down and when I saw him, he just basically told me that uh, if you change your diet, you could really address many of the healthcare issues. And I, th I just thought it was, I, I was saying, listen, what's wrong with this guy? I'm losing my sight. <laughs> you know, he talked about yeah. stop eating yeah. fried chicken. Yeah. You know? yeah. So there was a disconnect. I yeah. just did not know the power of food. Yeah. It was nowhere in my thought. And when I returned to the city and went through my cupboards, I noticed that there was nothing in my refrigerator and nothing in my pantry that was healthy. Wow. There yeah. was nothing. Yeah. Everything from cheese to uh, syrup and quick oats and everything was there to live around a fast life yes. instead of a life that took care of my body. Yeah. And I just had us two huge plastic glad bags full of stuff I just threw in the garbage. I said, should I give this away? And I said, no, I'm giving away my poison to someone else. Yes. No, it goes to the to the garbage. And I threw it away. And I just started new, started fresh. And three weeks after going to a whole food plant-based diet, my vision came back. Amazing. Uh, it just was unbelievable. Wow. Three months after my nerve damage went away, no more tingling in my hands and feet. They told me it was, it was permanent. Yeah. Neuropathy. They never tell you about the fact that neuropathy can be affected. Right. Through diet and lifestyle. Right. Never said that. No. They told, all no. they told me, this is, I went to five of the best doctors in New York City. And all of them told me the same thing, that this is your life now. You know, you might as well fall into it. And so I didn't. Yeah. And three months after, my A1C went to a 5.7. Wow. My nerve damage went away. My cholesterol normalized. My blood pressure normalized. My PSA went to 1.1. Oh, my uh, Right. My entire body changed. About four or five months, I dropped about 35 pounds and really got to the point of just feeling good yeah. every morning. And it was just no, no medicine of all the original medicine and that is the food and we just we have been on this exciting journey ever ever since we hear it we hear it everywhere <laughs> yes. we hear your journey we hear your movement we hear your passion and i tell you you probably are doing more oh no not probably you're Definitely. doing more for healthcare than a thousand doctors put together because what we do in healthcare system is not health care it's sick care mm. And twenty percent of medicine needs to be sick care, probably less than that. Eighty percent can be prevented. Yet a hundred percent goes towards sick care. Mm. I mean, we deal in the hospital, and I'm, I keep saying this story over and over again, so it just connects. A stroke patient comes in, and we deal with a with a free clinic, or where forty year olds come with strokes, and half the body is paralyzed. They get to the emergency room. CT scan, 1500, MRI, 3000, ICU, emergency stay, everything, 30,000 plus. And then we send them home with an aspirin and a cholesterol medicine. Right. Doesn't get more cynical than this. And go to, they go to a rehab or a skilled nursing facility and they're left with that deficit for the rest of their lives. What do we do for them? Nothing. And, and our research, the largest study, California teacher study, 44% of strokes can be prevented by even moderate diet change. Mm. 
Mm. I mean, why are we not talking about this? Why is that? So what you're doing in New York City is absolutely remarkable. It's absolutely needed. It's healthcare. And the first part of public health is awareness. You know, in real estate, it's location, location, location. (laughs) In, In public health, it's access, 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 access to information, access to resources and access to professionals. And and you've done all of those information. You're all over the place as far as information. Sure, sure and then the changes you've brought in New York with these movements, as far as um, you know, a, a plant-based movement in the hospitals and everywhere else. You want to talk about some of those? No, we, and we are extremely excited about what we're doing. People said it was impossible, and I remember speaking with Dr. Esselton, and I remember sitting down meditating that night after I saw him and stated to my inner being that if I'm able to recover from my vision loss and from uh, the real bad prognosis uh, that I am going to dedicate my life to really take this weight off of other other families because a a chronic disease it hijacks your life. Yeah. You're no longer yourself. You know, if it's a family member, you are really trying to wrestle with it. And it does. it's not only what happens to uh, the person who's experiencing the disease, but it also impacts the caregiver. Yeah. And so we have put in place several different initiatives. One of them I am extremely excited about is the first of its kind, uh, probably in the country, and that is a lifestyle medicine clinic at Bellevue Hospital. And it's extremely symbolic because Bellevue Hospital is the oldest hospital in America. We have about 170 people who are now in the actual lifestyle medicine uh, clinic and 688 people are on a waiting list. So it shows the demand is here. We're showing people how to get off their medicine, uh, how to uh, reverse their diseases, how to really start building around what they eat and becoming smarter. And we're helping. And as you indicated, people are making minor adjustments, but they're seeing huge advancements in their health state. And that is a project we're very proud of. We were also able to get um, processed meat out of the city. The city is no longer going to serve and purchase processed meats. We're going to do a 50% beef reduction in the city. This is huge for the city. When you look at processed meat being designated as a a, um, type 1 carcinogen by the um, WHO, the World Health Organization. And so we're showing people how to also eat uh, more effectively. We're showing people how to shop, how to read labels, how to find the hidden items that are very destructive, how to uh, cook healthy food. We have an initiative at Borough Hall called Plant-Based Vegan Curious Meetups. Every three months, we bring in experts to have a conversation around how to have a plant-based, a healthy lifestyle. We've also been really going after our medical institutions. We, we have brought in experts uh, like yourself uh, coming in to talk about Alzheimer's, which is amazing because people normally don't believe there's a connection between what you eat and how it impacts your brain. But we've had uh, Dr. Uh, Kim Williams come in and talk to our cardiologists and cardiologists were blown away. They said, we didn't even realize this this exists. And then they learned that the number one killer of cardiologists is heart disease, right, which is, right. <laughs> which is Absolutely. A, and, and he's a powerhouse. He was the former head of the American Heart Association. He's he's a, it doesn't get any more knowledgeable than True. that. And when it comes to brain, the most active organ, the most hungry organ 
It consumes 25% of your body's energy. So whatever you eat, every single meal is either going to make your brain or break your brain. Mm. And we see the effect of that in, in communities. When we go to the communities and churches and other community centers, in communities where knowledge is not present, awareness, access to resources and information, every 65-year-old that comes to us has some measure of cognitive decline that's never recorded in public health because you don't record those kind of things. Mm. Yet in other communities where we live in Loma Linda and, and where the population is a lot healthier and aware, we have 85-year-olds which are as sharp as it gets. Wow. So the change that you brought with diabetes and others who will do the same thing, it, yeah, the, kid, the, the pancreas, that's great, and the diabetes... But the effect that that will have on brain capacity, at the end of the day, that's who we are. Depression, anxiety, uh, um, uh, strokes, Alzheimer's, all of them are linked, not even to diabetes, pre-diabetes. We did a paper with NHANES, largest nationwide. Pre-diabetics, we excluded diabetics, had lower cognitive decline, uh, cognitive state. Now, if we can link that idea to people saying that you will preserve yourself, your brain is yourself, you're that would be an amazing, amazing step. And uh, you're helping us in this and we're, we, we're your partners Absolutely. for life. Yeah. Absolutely. How are you seeing this message being um, expanded to you know the higher levels of as far as policy change is concerned? And have you seen anything happening in your community and in, you know, as far as policy changes are concerned? That's so important because in the communities of color, um, particularly in uh, New York City, I think New York City is a microcosm of what is happening across the entire country, if not the globe, uh, communities of color uh, really uh, have embraced bad eating because it's more than just the consumption of food. We attach to uh, the things we eat. We attach um, our relationships. We self-medicate ourselves through pain and through uh, living in poverty and all the stress of poverty. We believe uh, that fast food is a way of medicating ourselves. We attach uh, a meal with a relationship we've had with a loved one or a member. You know, I used to attach my consumptions of chocolate cake with my relationship with my favorite aunt who used whenever I used to feel sad or something that my dad would make for me. So those relationships must be respected. And then, you know, we really thought this vegan, plant-based, we always thought it was a white thing. Yeah. You know, we felt that, you know, this is what white people do. What's wrong with you? Yeah. But when I was able, and that's why the role I'm playing is so important, because of the relationship people have with me and they know me, when I'm able to have this conversation, it is a pause moment for people. They say, wait a minute, we know him as an activist, and he went through this horrific incident that yeah. we are experiencing somewhere in our family Absolutely. and it really just changed the dialogue it's a new conversation that even the NAACP one of the oldest civil rights organizations in our country they now have a resolution calling for an adoption of a plant-based diet inside our schools inside our hospitals inside our prisons that's amazing no it really is and we are really excited about it because to have in the NAACP now become a part of this conversation it's a total shift in conversation that's because just now incredible. it is it's, it has now become a civil rights and a human rights issue that is going to escalate this conversation beyond belief that's just absolutely remarkable because um, that's, uh, we were talking about this earlier. If you can get a grassroots level going, as well as policy from both ends, 
it's unstoppable movement. It and and the, the policymakers, yourself, and but as it happens, <laughs> you're approaching it from both sides. That's the remarkable thing. The other thing I recently heard was that um, there's this concept of affluence paradox. China, India, populations that usually didn't have, they died, people died from acute diseases like infections and others. But as far as chronic diseases, they were less susceptible. Let's just put it that way. Yet with, with middle class coming, there's an affluence attached to fatty foods, fast foods, sugary foods, meat-filled foods, you know, processed meats. That affluence perception, and we've seen it in parties, and even in Philippine populations and others, if we can change that concept as well, that no, it is a sign of affluence and health and self-preservation, self-care, to not eat those processed foods and go natural to the you know unprocessed. Uh, that's another way of approaching this, which is which is remarkable. No, the 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 uh, NWCP uh, joining this this endeavor for us, it's it's one of the most important steps because. African-Americans in, in the United States suffer up to four times more cases of dementia. Hispanics up to 2.6 times. Those numbers are actually understated mm. because it's at the point of once somebody goes to a clinic and is diagnosed, majority of the populations do not go to the clinic, mm. especially immigrants, especially Native Americans or Hispanics. and They don't. It's just it's part of aging. And the numbers are tr- hor- horrific. So if we can bring that awareness, which is the first step, it would be a, a, a public health revolution. So in New York City, one of the other things you're doing is also meeting these communities, communities and meeting and starting conversations with those communities. And what are you experiencing as far as feedback is concerned? We, I always worry about that, not worry, but I always, right, right. always want to get feedback is where is the limitation, you know, almost like a SWOT analysis. Where is the opportunity and where is the, uh, you know, the, the problem that we can actually address I think I believe the one of the main areas of focus is to dispel the untruths you know many people believe that it's too expensive to eat healthy it takes too much time to eat healthy that what you eat is not going to change the health crises that you may be facing many people believe that having these chronic diseases, is very much part of the life that they could expect as they get older. So dispelling all of those rumors, and that's why we're taking our time and we, we are being extremely meticulous about one rumor at a time, showing people how to uh, buy a bag of lentils and uh, make a stew, make a lentil burger. You know, that $3 bag of lentils can last you through several meals about how to buy a roll of oats, of where and show the connection between eating unhealthy oats, quick oats, what it does to you. So we are really educating slowly and showing people the power of spices, how to spend one day learning about a spice and digging into the spice, what it does, the power of turmeric, mm-hmm. cumin, and you know the different spices that are out there that many people didn't know, the power of different vegetables and what it does. So we're really educated and just taking our time, not trying to rush people, allowing them slowly to introduce a healthy meal in their life one day a week and then move to three days a week, learning how uh, to really enjoy what you eat. I believe food must look good, be good for you, 
but done it, it must taste good. That's yes. So you know, they <laughs> say uh, easy, tasty, healthy. It, it has to be that. If it's not tasty, it's not going to last. No, it's not, not going to last. One of the things that I enjoyed a lot about your conversation at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine was that fact. And we're big believers, Dean, and I believe that, that, you know, you have to meet people where they are instead of pushing a particular lifestyle or a protocol on them. And it's that step-by-step uh, successes that actually end up becoming a, a larger lifestyle habit. And, you know, you are getting out there in the community and you're showing them and you're encouraging them. And that's the only way it works. Yes. It, it never works if you give them a brochure or like a doctor, you know, just so pass true. them on their back and say, hey, by the way, eat healthy. <laughs> right. See you so in three true. months. Uh, so or or it's way. all or none. Well, it's not all or none. I mean, right. the study that I shared, the uh, California teacher study, 133,000 people. And, and you broke it into strata, nine right, steps. Right, right. So, you know, every small steps of change towards that optimal diet or the healthy lifestyle makes a huge difference. So true. And when we see it in research studies, when you kind of break it down into smaller scores, every small step matters. And I think that's such a huge message of empowerment for people to say, hey, listen, if you get rid of that bag of chips and instead of that, maybe, you know, have some carrot sticks or celery with a really good dip, you're going to do much better. So true, so true. And that's why the cookbooks are so important. The number of times I receive a call from someone and say, I want to do this. I just don't know how to cook. Easy cookbooks of how to make a dip, how to make a sauce. Right. Uh, instead of using this, use that. Instead of using salt, uh, use vinegar and yeah. a lemon, lemon together. So, yeah. so there are things that we can start to show people yeah. how to get the good taste that they're looking for in food. It is so important. Yeah. Some of the good cookbooks out, have, have they have been extremely helpful. I know you guys are getting ready to do one as yes. well. So yeah. Yeah. we need Very those excited. cookbooks. Aisha is a cook. So she's a New Yorker. She's so, one of so you guys. I, I actually um, trained at Columbia University for my vascular neurology. So I spent two years here away from the kids and Dean. That was a hard time. And, you know, being in the ICU, being in the neurology department and seeing people come in with strokes and with neuropathies, with dementias, it gets really depressing. And so just like yourself, you know, knowing, having that background in public health and in epidemiology and knowing that food matters, I decided to go to cooking school. I'd be in the wow. ICU in my scrubs in the morning, and then I would take the 7 p.m. bus, go downtown. I went to the Natural Gourmet Institute for two years, got it, my cooking degree. <laughs> and, you know, every time when people would come in, instead of me, you know, tapping their knees to check their reflexes, we would be sharing recipes. I love that. It's, I love that. It, that's the only way it works. <laughs> you know, when we Dean and I started going into this area, you know, as doctors and as people in academia, you're taught, like, don't ever have a Facebook account or that's, you know, social media is such a rough thing to be on. Don't share your, your stories. We were standing in our pantry telling people these are lentils, these are beans, yeah. you know, and we had to remind ourselves that that is the most efficient way of, you know, being involved in public health yes. and teaching people yes. how to yes. live a healthy yes. life. One of the things that uh, everybody has a story and I want, this is to me in every conversation, this is very important. There are challenges. Change is difficult. Because the status quo becomes a habit. It's mm -hmm. actually a habit loop in your brain. Um, that's my error. Uh, so changing the habit loop is almost like jumping the highway to another highway. Like one of those fast and furious moves, jumping over the you know, barrier into mm -hmm. the... That's hard. Yes. Unless you make small little dense, 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 and you make a different road. But everybody has a challenge. For me, having grown up in Pittsburgh, meat, 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 cheese, cheese, salt, 
not I wasn't that much of a sugar person. She, Aisha is a big sugar person. Oh my person. goodness, I was. Yeah. Huge. But my, my challenge, ironically, wasn't so much meat, it was salt. But like you said, instead, salt is poison, mm-hmm. yet we found a complete different world of these these herbs and spices, yes. which for pound for pound, um, of course you don't eat pound, but mm-hmm. pound for pound, they're the best antioxidant, anti-inflammatories in the world. Doubt. If people just knew that little fact and, mm-hmm. and opened up their eyes to the world of spices, they would change their blood pressure better than any blood. Now, we are not against blood pressure medicines. Right. People need it for mm-hmm. a period. But if you want to reverse You have to change lifestyle. What was your challenge and or what was your... And I like that. That's that's such a good, great question. Yeah. Because week one and week two, the food that I was eating was so horrendous. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't thinking so much. I wanted to immerse myself into this movement. I was, you know, extremely excited. So I put taste to the back burner. Yeah. And I was creating dishes that w- they were just horrendous. You know, I I, I, I was I was cooking using flax seeds without grinding there. them. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but dental enamel chips all over the place. Yes. Yes. And it was just really hideous. But I said that by practice. I'm going to eventually find something new. And I was excited about the challenge of finding something new. So the biggest hurdle in the beginning was because I knew nothing about cooking. I was a fast food consumer. Uh, everything was in the fast. If it wasn't fast, I, I was a master of the dollar menu at McDonald's. <laughs> I was always on the go. It had to be fried, greasy, sweet. You know, it was just terrible. And so slowly... I evolved and it took a solid two weeks before I was able to eke out one good meal. Yes. And then I was able to, I I used Sundays as my days of experimenting and I would try different dishes and I started to create this little uh, cadre of meals that I was able to put together. And and now, you know, I have my go-to meals. I learned how to chop up my my veggies and put them in a bag. So during the week, I just take a handful of things I need. I'm curious, what does a day look like for you when you wake up? What do you eat? And my day is extremely, extremely busy. I I have anywhere as the borough president. Brooklyn is the third largest city in America with 2.6 million people. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, 47 Seven percent of the borough speaks a language other than English at home. So we're extremely diverse and I'm all over the borough. And so the day starts around 6 a.m. where I, you know, I I get in a good exercise. I do do, I I meditate and then I would do my morning break. But I like to say break my fast with a nice smoothie. It would consist of kale, blue or some type of green kale, collards or something like that with blueberries, a couple of blueberries, and then I mix some superfoods in uh, Asia, I always get that wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With a little cacao, kara powder, and just a, just a different powder, yes. throw a little turmeric in, a little cinnamon, nutmeg, a little Ooh, nutmeg. delicious. Right, yeah, it's just a nice mixture that I would drink in the morning with uh, a quarter apple, a quarter uh, peach, a quarter of banana. So I make myself a little fruit salad okay. with it. Okay. And people will hear that 
and say, well, that doesn't hold you? I mean, does that hold you? And yeah. it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure it does. holds me for hours because it's, it's bulky and it really holds me and I feel good. Yeah. Not lethargic, real light. And then in the middle of the day, I will have around around 12 o'clock, 12, 1 o'clock, I will have my favorite is a nice, I take make a lentil soup, black lentils. I love black lentils. Yes. I put them in my Nutribullet, liquefy them, and then I put a mixture of just all sorts of things, from broccoli to kale to lettuce to uh, radish, you know, just a mixture (laughs) with a nice handful of lentil noodles. That's another thing people don't realize. We've gotten so successful in taking... Uh, black bean noodles, lentil noodles, yes. uh, linguine. You won't know the difference between the two. So I just mix them into a nice big soup. And I can determine if I want if I feel like having it thick or yeah. if I feel like having it loose. Yeah. And it just really holds me th- the day. I made a nice dessert out of uh, crushed dates, bananas, um, walnuts, and I, I I make them into a paste, and then they they sort of stiffen a little, and then I cut them into squares, and I use them as a dessert as well. Oh my so it's satisfied. You want that sweet too? T- yes. Taste. Yes. Oh, and yes. Yes. It just really makes my day. So then, in the middle of the day, late in the day, um, an early sort of uh, meal, I would make a bread out of flaxseed, bananas, and sweet potatoes. Nice. I make a nice bread, nice bread out of that. And use it with some hummus on it and probably, you know, a small piece of avocado and I make a little snack to eat. And then late that night at dinner, I would use nutritional yeast and make a nice one of my noodles, either black beans or lentil noodles or lentil spaghetti. And I'll make a meal. That's a typical day for me. Uh, We're coming to your home. Can we come? Can we come? Yes, that can. sounds amazing. I, I tell you, so so let's take that. Let's take that breakfast. Mm-hmm. So I used to, <laughs> I used to go to um, school with bacon, egg, and cheese. And I mean, which part of that is healthy? So <laughs> you're going to school, and then they, I mean, there are ADHDs out there. Right. But you take an average hunter gatherer, or actually, we were gatherers mostly, then hunters, male, put them in a room of thirty. But you've just given them a food breakfast, which is full of fat, full of sugar high energy, and then you ask them to sit quietly for eight hours. And mm. if they don't, you have ADHD. Mm. And if I was in that era, I'm not going to age myself, I would have been medicated, <laughs> you know, like crazy. Now you take that meal, which is, we have 400 miles of vessels in our brain. Mm. The most vascular organ is not the heart, it's not the kid, it's the brain. Mm. And some people say, oh, the brain is made of fat, so you need fat. No, you have 400 miles of endothelium and arteries that you're damaging on the way to the cell, which actually doesn't need, the only type of fat it needs is omegas. And we can get that from chia and flaxseed. But you're damaging every meal. That's why there's a thing called postprenial narcolepsy, where you feel sleepy after a meal. That's because you're putting your brain in shock mm. with sugar and fat. Now you're giving it, instead of that poison, because every meal can destroy neurons and connections, you're giving it nutrients, vitamins, antioxidants, anti-inflammatories with this this concoction you just described. It's not one meal, it's not two meals, it's not three meals. And is there a surprise why dementia is so much lower in the plant-based people or in the healthy people? Let's just forget about that. That's because of the kind of food you eat is more powerful than the pills you would be taking. That's true. That's, right, that's, right, we need to right. get that. By the way, you don't have to spend any money. You don't have to go to these protocols where we give, you know, you take vitamins and all of that. 
you find all of that in the most effective way, in synergistic way, in food. That mixture of yours in the morning is more powerful than a, an entire pharmacy put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's amazing. That's a, and it's so important what you stated because at the conclusion of eating the way I used to eat, two eggs on a roll with bacon yeah. and sausage with butter on the roll and some ketchup. Yes. You know, when you start to think about it, you begin the process of really knowing how amazing the human body is. Mm. It's amazing that it can last this long on poison. Yes. And imagine when you give it the right thing. So when I would finish that breakfast, I would feel guilty. When I finish my smoothie and my fruits, I feel empowered. Yeah. Because I already know, hey, that kale you are just giving, that cruciferous vegetable that you just gave your yes. body, you know, hey, brain, here it comes. That high fiber, hey, colon, here, here it comes. I feel empowered. <laughs> yeah. You know, those blueberries, hey, I just gave you a nice dose of antioxidant. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's remarkable. It. They're cheap. They're, you know, they're not as... so. There's a lot of myths, beautifully, that the way you approach it, we always, myths that, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia cannot be reversed. Well, we said seven years ago, eight years ago, that 90% of Alzheimer's can be prevented. A big backlash. We never said Alzheimer's itself, once somebody has fulminant, some people have made that claim without ever proving it, can be reversed. But prior to that, we can prevent Alzheimer's in 90% of people. Initially, big hoopla. This year, Alzheimer's Association, 60% can be reversed. But with their, you know, nominal approach, if you approach it properly with beautiful, beautiful, healthy, whole foods, lots of exercise, mental activity, stress reduction, you can. And all of that is free. All of that is information. All of that is community. All of that is us connecting together in our churches, in our faith communities, in our community centers, in our in our communities, talking about this. You as a leader going out there and saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not selling anything. All I'm telling you is instead of this breakfast, have this smoothie. And you've done more than a thousand doctors. Absolutely. That's why we, I'm going to use that word, the L word. I use that a lot. We love you. We, <laughs> we love do. You. We love we, you uh, yeah. for everything that you're doing. Because we saw the damage. We mm. see the damage every day. Right. Right. I lost two grandparents to Alzheimer's. Mm. And Aisha lost two grandparents to Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm. And it was all lifestyle. It was absolutely lifestyle. And then we see it on a daily basis. For two people that have seen more than 11,000, actually more than that patient with dementia, and we collect data on them more than anybody else because we were the only lifestyle doctors 10 years ago. Now everybody's popular. And we, with that eye, for 10 years, 15 years, we've looked at lifestyle's effect on dementia and brain health, all brain health. Aisha is a stroke specialist. We know the absolute power of food and lifestyle on brain capacity. Let's talk about the kids. A recent research paper came out and we're looking into it as well. 12 year olds that had diabetes or prediabetes or or obese had white matter disease at that point. Mm. Your entire generation of kids who will actually have white matter disease, which means that for the rest of their life, they will be affected. Mm. I mean, this sounds rough. We're not shaming anybody. We love everybody. And we're just trying to empower people saying, Let's slowly move away from those horrible poisons that are destroying our kids' lives. We know that IQs are affected. We know that Mm -hmm. cognition affects. Forget about the other end of the life where you and I are at the other end after 40 (laughs) (laughs) years, where our brains are now no longer at the... The resilience is being taxed now, Mm. is being overwhelmed because the cumulative damage. 
this is the time to make the difference. This is the time to make a change. And uh, we are glad to be part of your team. And uh, we're in California, but we're part of your team. T- uh, and we talk about you all the time. We're excited about Monday coming in and talking to, with our health professionals as well as everyday people. And there's just this buzz in the air of, you know, people are excited. They, they want to know. People want to heal. Right. And when you hear about your family members who died of Alzheimer's, you could sort of wallow in the pain or you could turn the pain into purpose. Right. Yes. And now you are living in their name. You are showing other families how they don't have to experience the, really the debilitating disease of Alzheimer's. It really is. You know, watching a vibrant family member, loved one go through that slow decline, you know, that they no longer notice or recognize, they no longer who they are. To be able to prevent that is amazing. This is God's work. No matter how you define God, it is the work of a creator that we're supposed to, you know, really give people the life that they deserve. We don't want people just to exist. We want them to live. And that is what this food has done. And I don't know how we got this far, but I know how far we're going to go of turning around this healthcare crisis that we are experiencing. And government should not feed the crisis. Right. Exactly. We are feeding the crisis. And to the healthcare professionals that listen to you, um, I talk about it all the time vicarious trauma. You may not realize it, but you are being traumatized every time you have to watch that decline, every time you have to have that terrible diagnosis, every time you have to say they have to remove a foot, that you're going to now go to dialysis, that you're going to lose your sight. Doctors are impacted by that. Healthcare professionals are impacted by that. And we need to understand all of us are impacted by it. And that's why I say the yin and yang is not only that we fit together, we're part of each other. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Uh, we're, we're starting a Healthy Minds initiative here in New York. We'll be working with you. Small steps, information, awareness. And uh, with that, we're excited to have a leader like you um, leading the process. Such a pleasure. It is. Such a pleasure having you. Wanted to ask you a couple of things. What are some of the future projects that you have to promote this concept? Yes, we want to get all of unhealthy food out of our governmental institutions. As I indicated, government should not be feeding the crisis. We can't dictate what a person eats inside his or her home. But we should be dictating that if you're coming to the government for services, doctors, hospitals should not be serving unhealthy food. You don't go in for colon cancer and then you come back to your room and you have the food waiting for you that created the colon cancer. Our prisons should not be serving unhealthy food. Our senior centers, our schools, which is really important, uh, should not be serving unhealthy food. We're starting to connect with doulas to go out and visit. We're doing a pilot project where we're going to have doulas go out and visit mothers at the start of their pregnancy to show them how the importance of making sure that baby received the right folic acid, the right iron, all the nutrition that will determine which cells will be turned on and off so when that baby gives birth, that they don't start out already going through a crisis that they're leading into. So we are going back to this beginning. We feel the first classroom is the mother's womb. And we want to start empowering mothers to know in a real way, using uh, books like your books, using some of the great videos out there, and really showing mothers 
what is happening instead of this esoteric conversation we're having about, like you said, okay, eat healthy. Yeah. No, we need to to really show people this is what's happening with your child every time you're not giving him or her what she needs. And so our initiative, the major initiative we're, we're doing now is really starting to educate mothers so they can start the process and, and fathers in the family setting of starting the process of giving birth to healthy children, carrying healthy children, and raising healthy children. Eric Adams, you're an inspiration. Thank you so much for being here with us. And we're so excited for what the future holds for you, for all of us, and we're connected with you for life. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.